Welcome to Bridging the Gap. I'm your host, Marianne Rose. You are about to embark on a relevant and timely journey of thought with registered psychologist, Dr. Cyrus Dirksen. Thank you for tuning in and expect to be enlightened right now. Hey there, Cyrus. Hello. <laughs> here we are again. Oh, it's good to be here. Thanks. Thank you so much. <laughs> I'm absolutely thrilled about this time and that we get to share super important things. Just incredibly great thinker you are, and so it's really special to hear your thoughts. Of course, you have trained thoughts as well. Some of them <laughs> have been disciplined with education for psychology. Yeah. And so it's wonderful to be able to tap into that. And especially during difficult times, mm. which the planet's been going. Yes, through. there's so much, right? There's so much right now. COVID and just recently we've had the insurrection and there's all kinds of things all the time so yeah it's good to be able to talk it's good to be able to think our way through these things yes unravel mm -hmm. makes sense and so right now you were interested in talking about well I was interested in talking about threat and how we imagine how we deal with threat past threat future threat and one of the themes in my practice is people coming to me asking me, Cyrus, help me with this traumatic moment in my life. Help me to feel better. I have all these feelings about it. And it keeps me up at night and I keep on having intrusive memories and I'm irritable with my spouse and I'm sad and I feel like the world is dangerous. Help me with these feelings. And then as we talk about it, it's very clear that they don't want to talk about it. They don't want to think about it. And it makes it challenging because one of the main ways that we deal with anxiety and traumatic moments is by processing it, by actually allowing our minds to sit in it and get used to it, habituate to it, and reprocess it in a way that we can think about it differently, reframe it. And so it's this challenging thing of people asking me for help, asking almost in a way to think about it, but then really not wanting to and having that therapeutic experience of kind of pushing them into it and being with them in those moments in order to help them deal with it. So getting used to the feelings of dealing with trauma? Mm, yes, it's, it's a hard thing. I mean, oftentimes people will come in and they'll say, Cyrus, I'm doing great. I'm not thinking about it anymore. I'm really good at avoiding it. But avoidance is actually one of the symptoms of trauma. It's actually considered one of the primary ones. People avoid driving past the place where the bad thing happened, the car accident, let's say. They don't want to drive past anymore. They don't want to think about it. They don't want to talk about it. And that's actually a symptom of trauma. And I, and I get it. In some ways, that's also the goal is to kind of be able to move on without having to think about it all the time. But avoidance, actively turning on the television in order to distract yourself, actually putting on headphones to listen to loud music in order to not be thinking about it anymore, those are symptoms of trauma and actually help to maintain those negative feelings and experiences in your life. So then if you can spend time with the memory of your pain, mm -hmm. that you can associate where it started, Right. You know, yeah. so that it maybe it was the accident or driving past that spot mm -hmm. or a kind of a battle mm -hmm. conversation yeah. with someone where it's 
back to something that triggers extreme pain. Yeah. To be able to get used to that. I'm really fascinated with the word used to. <laughs> habituate. Yeah, it's a very yeah. interesting idea. Well, I mean, this is the habituate idea kind of uh, is something I think all of us have experienced when, you know, like let's say you see a kid playing a video game and you go and you watch this video game. You're like, oh my goodness, look at all that blood and, or whatever is happening on that video game. And the kid's like, there's blood on the screen? I didn't even notice. You know, like they, they habituate it to something awful and that's one of the main ways that we actually help people with anxiety is by habituating to it so if you're scared of tall buildings you go on to the tall building and you stay there until you're too tired to feel anxious anymore uh that's what we're waiting for and uh that's wild yeah so it's 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 challenging and we do the same thing with trauma that habituation i mean that's not the only thing that happens but that's one of the main ingredients is just kind of staying with it. Now, people will say, like, well, Cyrus, I should be habituated to this by now. I'm thinking about it all the time. <laughs> uh, but what's often happening is they think about it for a very short period of time, and then they distract themselves with another traumatic thought. Like, they'll think, okay, thinking about that car accident. I'm thinking about the feeling of hitting the other vehicle. Well, now I'm thinking about how sad I've been since then. And now I'm thinking about how I got angry with my wife the other day. And now I'm thinking about how I haven't been able to go to work. And now I'm thinking about how I'm driving back into that car again. And yes, they are thinking about it, and they're, but they're in a cycle where they're actually thinking about many things. And what we would do is we'd actually want to habituate them by having them just think about one thing for a period of time until it loses that strength and we get kind of tired and we think about it. And it gets to be that place, yes, yes, Cyrus. Let's talk about it again. I'm almost getting bored of talking about how I drove into the other vehicle and I sustained these terrible injuries and, and there was all these terrible things that happened. And they get bored as they talk about it because they've talked about it so much. And that's kind of one of those pieces that we're looking for. But they need to face it. You need to actually face the pain in order for your brain to be able to deal with it in that way. Mm -hmm. You need to be able to come up with an answer. Mm -hmm. You know, that facing it and instead of piling on mm. problem after problem yes. and bad memory after bad memory and making mountains out of molehills. Well, there you go. <laughs> yeah, instead of doing that, just being able to sit with the one thing until you find the answer. Right. So what's one of the tricks to getting an answer? What do you need to avoid? It's an interesting thing. I remember when I went for a surgery, uh, I was getting my wisdom teeth out. Before I went and got my wisdom teeth out, I heard from my neuropsych professor who was talking about nerves, how half of her tongue was paralyzed because of her wisdom teeth surgery. They had nicked a nerve, or I guess cut it. I'm not sure. Anyway, I was going in for my surgery now for my wisdom teeth. And I asked the surgeon, I got up the nerve and I said, the nerve, haha. I got, I got up, the, I got up the, the courage and I said, have you ever had this happen? In all of your surgeries, have you ever cut somebody's nerve and paralyzed their tongue? And he didn't answer me directly. He said, I've done a lot of surgeries. And I thought that was a really interesting and somewhat disturbing answer. Yes. Because uh, it probably meant that he has. And it sounded like therapy to me, honestly. Because that's the kind of answer to trauma that people will have. Like he cut somebody's nerve. He gave somebody a paralyzed tongue, I'm guessing. And he had to deal with that emotionally about hurting somebody. And one of the ways that he managed that, the answer that he had for that was, well, I've done a lot of surgeries. 
And since then, I've heard that for surgeons, one of the rules for surgery is that somebody's going to die. I think this is actually from MASH. You know, the second rule is you can't change rule number one. So finding ways to cope with this with different thoughts. So instead of saying, I'm a bad surgeon because I paralyzed somebody's tongue, you're saying to yourself, I've done a lot of surgeries and there's risks associated with this, which is a way of dealing with that trauma. It's a thought. So that's another way of kind of reframing that. And in that's order him to reframing it. it for himself. Mm-hmm. There's all kinds of ways to get to that reframing. Mm-hmm. And I like that word, reframing. Yeah. Because what is the picture that makes it so gory and difficult mm. and challenging and messed up and painful that you can now bring a new association right. to that to that experience like how do you actually how do you take something that could be so horrible and this is that scary moment in therapy when people come in and they don't want to think about it because they don't feel like it's possible they come in and they there's no reframe possible in mind Cyrus and so let's just not talk about it and but there always is there's always a way of understanding there's always a way of looking at it like well this is something that's going to help me grow this is something that I'm learning from okay yes that's a very common and very helpful one now I could say that to you you might be listening to this and might sound like well that's too simple Cyrus that doesn't work for me and and that's where therapy where these process I mean you can so a lot of you might say like oh that helps me but you often have to kind of really think it through and kind of come to it yourself like it can't just something you just add on you have to actually process it and actually believe that and that's where all of a sudden it can feel different after and it can take time Mm. and sometimes years of the repeat mm-hmm. battle. Mm-hmm. And you're there again, and you have the same thoughts, and they're triggering the same pain, and maybe it's a different circumstance, maybe it's a different relationship, but it seems to be bringing up that same thing. And I'm feeling like when you talk about it being like a threat, mm. a threat to your well-being, mm-hmm. when we're experiencing something from the past, those memories can be a threat. People can be interestingly enough anxious about anxiety they can be anxious about what it's going to do to them the experience that they're going to have because it's so painful when they remember that event and so the actual traumatic memory can become like this amazing powerful threat in their life that they're worried about that they're anxious about it and oftentimes in therapy we're not looking to make that like a happy thought or or exciting thought but we are trying to take the fangs out of it so that people can kind of sit and be with their pain and oftentimes if they believe that they can cope with it it loses that a lot of the pain a lot of the fear and one of the big things that we do for that is just being there with them oftentimes people can do amazing things when they're not alone so just being with somebody when you're having to go through this getting over the shame of telling somebody about whatever happened that might be part of it and being with somebody can help them to face it and then it doesn't have that threat as much anymore they've gone through it they've sat with it they've been with somebody while they did that and it's not as shameful it's not as overwhelming it's not as frightening and a person who goes into therapy that's a decision saying i will learn Mm. and so i want to be here so i will learn Mm -hmm. and that's the same way that you can go sit with your pain is Mm. to say ahead of time the words i will learn 
Mm-hmm. And so I think that that's a way to also treat it more gently. Right. Is instead of all of a sudden feeling attacked by your own mind. Right. To create even more of the feeling of being threatened by the mm-hmm. recovery from mm-hmm. the task of mm-hmm. recovery. Yeah, it's scary, right? And to be able to trust your own mind to be able to get through something. Like, for example, you know, to take somebody and say, okay, what I'd like you to do is go and take something from a memory and go and sit with your bed and and cry. Go and weep, grieve over what you've lost. Those take a lot of courage to kind of face that and to be able to trust yourself to get through it. But yeah, that's also something that people can do on their own, like to trust your mind that you can heal. Your mind is made to heal from these things. And you're not always alone. Like when you can go to therapy to do these things, you can be with a friend to do it. And you can also do it spiritually. You can be with God and he can comfort you and be with you through these things. And so people don't have to be alone if they can perceive somebody with them. So that's something that we can all do. I love that. I'm so thankful about that. back. Hey Cyrus, so we're talking about threat Mm -hmm. and how we can learn from it instead of avoid it. That's right, yeah. And you know, we've been talking about kind of this threat from our mind, you know, from trauma or threats that have already happened when the threat has actually hurt us and how do we deal with that. But there's also this other threat of things that haven't happened yet things that could happen to you, these threats that can happen. And we are not very good at recognizing threats in the future. Like, for example, people can be very afraid of snakes, even very harmless snakes, and yet have no fear of an outlet or something like that, even though it has a much higher threat. So we're not very good at it. And one of the reasons is we habituate. That same thing that I was talking about before, in order to help us deal with those hurts from the past, where you kind of just get used to it by being with it for a longer period of time when we're accustomed to threats in the future because we've been around that threat so long like for example driving in a car that's a threat but we're used to it so we don't feel it anymore we've habituated to it and so our ability to recognize threats can sometimes be really off and that can cause us problems and put us in risk So then is there a need to be on guard? Obviously, Mm. you don't want to live Mm -hmm. even more anxious than so many already (laughs) are. That's right. Well, I remember when we first got into COVID, people were like, oh my goodness, Cyrus, everybody's so afraid. I just remember those first few weeks when we were in COVID and it kind of hit home. It wasn't in other countries anymore. It was here somewhere. There was a case. There was another case. And I remember driving down the street and there was like, it was like a movie. It was like, there's nobody out there. And then they come up with all these lockdowns now and all these bigger restrictions and there's still lots of cars out there, lots of people driving around. People asked me, you know, when it first started, how will people respond to this? And I said, people are going to get used to this. They're going to climatize to this and they're not going to be afraid anymore. They're going to become accustomed to it generally. And that's what we've seen. People are out and they're driving, they're conducting their lives. They're doing what they need to do. Now, there's some people who are obviously still afraid Now, I would say that those people who are very afraid and feeling that fear significantly, they're probably afraid of things they haven't been doing. Most of the time, we remain afraid if we don't do the thing that we're afraid of. So if people are in isolation, they will probably still be afraid of going out. And now, what I'm not talking about here is whether people 
should be afraid or whether people shouldn't be afraid. I'm just talking about whether they are afraid. And that is controlled primarily by things that you get used to. And if so, if you've been one of the frontline workers out there and everybody's applauding you for how courageous you are because you're out amongst the, the public and doing what you need to do, it might be kind of odd because you're probably not afraid anymore. Probably just like going to work. And everybody's applauding you like you're a hero, and maybe you are, but you're probably not having to experience a lot of courage. You maybe did the first day, the second day, but you probably started getting used to it fairly quickly, especially if you have an eight-hour shift. So this is one of the dynamics that happens with threat. We start to habituate to it, and sometimes that's good, especially if you have to be a frontline worker, and sometimes it can lead us into problems. I think that if you can strengthen yourself to be courageous, mm. you can gain courage mm -hmm. for the future threat yes. ahead of time. Yes, you can. You can prepare yourself. I remember there was actually a piece of research that came out. I haven't looked at it carefully, but it was talking about people who watched a lot of zombie movies were more prepared for COVID. <laughs> and uh, so, you know, you can prepare yourself for lots of things. You can prepare yourself for somebody dying by grieving ahead of time as they lose their abilities. You can prepare yourself for being a frontline worker by imagining going out and working, just like you can prepare yourself for a basketball game by imagining yourself shooting hoops. All these things are proven in order to help us. So yes, you can prepare yourself to be courageous by in your mind facing the fears and you will habituate to it. And things that made all of a sudden then look very courageous to others, don't get me wrong, it took courage probably to do it in the beginning, will all of a sudden become pretty natural. This is interesting because I was just thinking recently about the difference between myself when I was in my 20s and to me now in my late 40s that I had a kind of courage mm. that was mixed with youthful <laughs> confidence and the word I would actually use is arrogance. You know? <laughs> there's a difference between confidence and having peace with the confidence. Mm, yes. That it's the peace that sustains me now yes. that helps me have the confidence. So, it, you know, it's just a different picture of where I got the strength to be confident in my youth yes. was in arrogance, I think. So yeah. There's, just, yeah. there's, a, there's a sense of perceived in, invulnerability, invincibility that people have, a bubble of invincibility until it's popped. And that's a tough experience for all of us. And it happens throughout our lives as we experience different things and we realize, oh wow, I'm not immune to a traffic ticket. I'm not immune to cancer. I'm not immune to these things. These things can actually happen in my life and all of a sudden you start taking more precautions. So that's another reality that's there. In addition to habituating, we also become more experienced and we realize that these risks apply to us and some of those things that we maybe did when we were younger, like skydiving or something like that, all of a sudden it's like, well, actually, you know, I'm not immune to parachutes not opening, you know, like that, <laughs> that could happen to me. And uh, so that's another reality that's there as well. And that means that, let me put it this way, somebody who's older who's going to go skydiving is probably exhibiting more courage than somebody who's younger, on average, I would say. Because somebody who's older is probably in that plane actually facing the fact that they might die. And somebody who's younger is probably just saying this is going to be a good time. <laughs> so there is that perception difference and people are going to respond differently depending on their experiences. Well, you've got that saying, feel the fear and do it anyway. <laughs> yes. But sometimes I think that the fear is mm. actually the thing to recognize that is not helpful. Mm. Do it afraid in the way of courage. Right. Okay. 
and then other times mm-hmm. it's not really the strength that you need mm. it's not it's not going to come from there it's going to come from a peaceful place but mm. there's a differences between courage feeling the fear and doing it anyway right and actually not experiencing the threat of fear mm. like being blind to the threat like you're not even experiencing the fear you don't even realize you know what i really actually feel like i'm saying is that you're stone steel oh okay. not cold stone steel no not cold confident in pe- in a peaceful mm. manner yeah there are different ways of perceiving a threat so for example there is there is a reality where somebody could be afraid of a garter snake and that's an irrational fear. There's nothing that that garter snake is going to do to them. And that's what we kind of face in psychology as a therapist. I don't generally help people with rational fears. Like if somebody wants to go and put their finger in a light socket, I'm not going to help them with that. You know, I'm not going to help them get over their fear of that. What I would in my practice call a rational fear. But when you perceive that threat of putting your finger in the light socket and the pain and the potential death that could come from that, there's different ways of looking at that threat. One would be to say, okay, I'm going to die and that's terrifying if I do that. The other way would be to perceive it as potentially the start of another life, when you're going to actually go into another existence and death isn't the thing that needs to scare you. You might still not do it because you don't feel like that's a good decision to die, but you're not afraid of it because you're not perceiving it as the same kind of threat as somebody who is afraid of death, who isn't excited about that. So that's where sometimes people can experience threat and have peace, because they're not seeing some of those consequences the same way. They're not seeing death the same way. They're not seeing pain the same way. And that's an interesting reality, where you move from fear into the perception of threat, but still having peace, because you just perceive the consequences differently. I think there's a power that is available to you to give you that peace. Mm. When we know God is all about Mm -hmm. real peace, Mm -hmm. there's a verse that says he gives us peace that passes understanding. Mm -hmm. So we don't always know how it comes, how it doesn't make sense, but we have peace in the midst of this crazy, Mm -hmm. in the midst of what otherwise would flatten us. Mm -hmm. And so that's remarkable. It is remarkable, and I think people can experience it because it's a matter of how you're perceiving it, and that can be shifted. You know, obviously that's something that people need to engage in. The Bible would call that like a renewed mind. Like when you perceive things the way that God perceives them, when you kind of look at them through the eyes of a different perception, all of a sudden you have different emotional experiences. Because that's what's very real in psychology is that it's all based on perception. And if you're seeing things from God's perspective, then very different things become threatening. Like death isn't as threatening as lack of faith, for example, or something like that. So yeah, it's just interesting to think about those dynamics of threat and fear and how we try to get away from threats generally, but really what we need to be able to do is evaluate them accurately and have peace in the midst of them. We want to be able to not just be in denial about what's going on around us in the future, We want to accurately perceive them, and we can more accurately perceive them if we can have peace. If we can see, if you're really terrified of dying, you're probably not going to accurately perceive the risk of driving. But 
if you can have peace and you're not threatened by driving in the same way, you can actually perceive that threat of driving more accurately because it's not going to take away that peace from you. Yes. You're going to be able to drive knowing that something terrible could happen. Maybe that's one for me because I see a lot of car accident victims in my practice. So for me, the threat of driving is very real because I'm always seeing the consequences every day. But I can still drive because I don't perceive that real threat as something that has to take away my peace. I can walk into something like that and know what it looks like from God's perspective. I would just love to have everyone listening be able to welcome that and learn to receive the gift of peace Mm -hmm. and have that in your life for each time trauma wants to trigger and yes, cry, Mm. mourn, Mm -hmm. go through it, sit with it and it's really important but take it also as a comfort to receive peace and see it as I'm going to learn. Mm-hmm. I'm going to learn going into this. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I super appreciate this time mm-hmm. and I'm very thankful that we get to share <laughs> hopefully really helpful things <laughs> to our <laughs> listeners. Uh, well, it's always fun just to kind of think about these things and see where we go as we kind of contemplate you know, some of these issues or what's happening in the world and these threats that are happening. So it is nice. And I, and yeah, I hope it is helpful for people. Awesome. Thank you so much, Cyrus. Thank you. Well, that was an honor to get to spend that time with you. Appreciate you tuning in. Please check out more of Dr. Cyrus at maplecrestchurch.ca and at drcyrusdirksen.com. You are very welcome to come and join Maplecrest Church services 10 a.m. Sunday mornings at the Park Theatre 698 Osborne Street in Winnipeg. We look forward to seeing you. Thanks again and tune in next time for Bridging the Gap. I'm Marianne Rose.